welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me on the Hitting Play hotline is someone that I'm now convinced is secretly trying to sabotage this podcast, Steve. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> welcome back. What did you make me watch? Well, I, I, I remembered a program from, uh, from my youth, from... Uh, Saturday mornings watching uh, watching children's shows with my brothers. It's Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. Specifically, uh, two episodes uh, I picked out. It's uh, Lancelot of Arabia uh, paired with uh, The Doctor Goes Ape. Oh, yay. <laughs> it beat H.R. Puffin stuff, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That was the alternative. I will give it that. Uh, for those that don't know, it, it is a live-action show about a secret agent and his adventures thwarting plans of a criminal underworld organization. But, uh, oh yeah, every character is played by a live-action, dubbed-over chimpanzee. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> well, it was, it was the early 70s. Oh yeah, it, you know, sometimes you, you hear like, oh, this show could never be made today. This definitely applies to the show for many reasons. It's a show that probably should never have been made any day. <laughs> but surprisingly enough, in, in 1970, uh, the uh, producers were able to get ABC to cough up a million dollars for a budget to, uh, to produce this, which was an, practically, un well, was an unheard of uh, amount for a children's show yeah. at that time. That's unbelievable. This show aired on ABC from September 12th, 1970 to January 2nd, 1971. Very short run. Uh, there's only 17 episodes in total. And I guess at first the early episodes were one hour and they were like really padded out with Warner Brother cartoon shorts and all those kind of things. But in later airings, those cartoons were cut out and the episodes began to be uh, re-aired at 30 minutes. And uh, considering what we watched for this episode, I'm convinced these could be 10-minute episodes. <laughs> they could be pared down a little bit. <laughs> uh, but the interesting thing is that this, this show actually was, uh, was the brainchild of two of the uh, writers from, uh, from Get Smart. So as a result, this show actually turns out to be a parody of a show that was a parody of James Bond, which itself is <laughs> arguably a satire of the whole espionage thriller genre. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's a carbon copy of a carbon copy. <laughs> yeah, and and as as every reproduction shows a bit of fading and pattering, it's a yeah. This is. <laughs> I'm not sure you could bastardize the genre any further than this. No, it'd be very hard to. So every episode that aired consisted of two stories, and they were separated by some musical numbers and interstitials, uh, even in the pared-down version like the one we watched. So like Steve mentioned, the episodes that we watched were Lance of Arabia and The Doctor Goes Ape, and minus commercials, the runtime was about 24 minutes or so. So this was the rerun cut that we watched for this episode. Uh, at one point, it does say the Lancelot Link hour. I guess I just forgot to cut that out. Probably didn't care. But uh, in addition to this, we both watched a great documentary short entitled I Created Lancelot Link, where uh, Diane Bernard and documentarian Jeff Krulik, who is also known for the very famous heavy metal parking lot, filmed a 1997 reunion of the Lancelot Link creators Mike Marmer and Stan Burns. And uh, it was about five years before they both passed away. They, they both died in uh, 2002. 
Now, this documentary, it's only about 15 and a half minutes long, and it's very, very funny. It, it actually won some film festival awards, too. It's yeah. uh, it, it's on YouTube in its entirety, and I guess the edited version appeared in the DVD box set of Lancelot Link, if you can imagine that such a thing actually did exist. There's so many behind-the-scenes details about the show, so as we go along, we'll just uh, mention some gems from this. It's, it's so great. And uh, as brought out in that film, Stan Burns and Mike Marmer, they were writing partners for 25 years. They wrote for just some great comics and, and some of the best comedies of the time. Uh, mentioned in the film, Ernie Kovacs, Steve Allen, the Smothers Brothers, Flip Wilson, as Steve mentioned, Get Smart, and the Carol Burnett Show, from which they actually won an Emmy. And uh, I, I like, if you caught, they actually mentioned when they started Lancelot Link, the writers from the Carol Burnett Show had 200 pounds of bananas sent to them as a gift. <laughs> I Actually, that is one of my claims to fame. I am the only person I know that has actually slipped on a banana peel. <laughs> it's, a, it's a staple it's a staple of cartoons and children's shows, but who slips on banana peels? Uh, apparently me. Wow. It's been a full life. <laughs> and they actually uh, won the, their Emmy for the legendary Gone with the Wind skit on uh, Carol Burnett. Legendary. It, it, actually, yes, legendary. <laughs> And I like how they mentioned, too, that ABC just bought this deal sight unseen. They never saw a chimp. They just signed on and, okay, here's your, here's your giant budget. Well, I mean, some ideas just sell themselves. I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you mentioned that the, the budget was unprecedented for a show like this. So was the merchandising. There were toys, lunchboxes, record albums. They even had uh, 3D slides for Viewmasters, and the list goes on and on. I wanted to ask, did you or your brothers have any of this stuff, Steve? I actually had a Lancelot Link Secret Chimp lunchbox. Nice. <laughs> yeah, the nice tin with, with the ape legend embossed on it, action scenes on a, oh, it was one for what, a thermos? Wow. And everything. It, uh, I shudder to think how much it must be worth now, because at the time, I hated it. But I wish I had it today. Dozens of cents. <laughs> yes. Now, you were, you were looking up, you were mentioning to me before the show, that there's, there's actually memorabilia that still is being produced for the show. Yeah, I, I found uh, online, I completely unintentionally, stumbled across uh, t-shirts, uh, pins, uh, there are even, uh, I even ran across uh, cufflinks marked with uh, the legend on it, ape. Now, whether this was just somebody's monogrammed uh, cufflinks and it's a coincidence, <laughs> or if it really refers to the agency to prevent evil, I don't know. I prefer to think the latter, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into this episode. Uh, we start with a very long, very 70s theme song, along with cascading title cards and images. We see a chimp on a phone, chimpanzee handprints, there's a car, and the logos for the organization's Ape and Chump. Those, of course, are acronyms, as you mentioned, the Ape one. Uh, we also see credits for the chimp characters, who we will see in this episode, for the most part. Uh, for each one, the theme song gives us a little bit of lyrics explaining exactly who these characters are. Uh, it's kind of hard to hear in the, the version that we saw on YouTube, but uh, we see that there's Mata Hari, of course a play on Mata Hari, uh, who is a loyal friend. There's Darwin, a leader on the side of good. Baron, who is cunning and doesn't play fair. 
Credo, Baron's Evil Chauffeur, Dragon Woman, she is lovely but also wicked, Strange Mind, A Mad Doctor, Ali Assassin, Wang Fu, and Duchess, Whose Looks Can Fool You. So this opening sequence finally ends after about a minute 20 seconds. Pretty long, even by 70s standards. It was, it's a substantial part of the show. Um, <laughs> interestingly, three of the uh, characters, uh, Baron Von Butcher, the uh, head of CHOMP, the criminal headquarters for the Underworld's master plan, yes. <laughs> uh, the chauffeur Credo, and the martial arts master Wang Fu, were all voiced by uh, Bernie Capel, yes. uh, who was was also the uh, villain Siegfried from uh, Get Smart and Beloved Doc from Love Boat. I was going to mention, yeah, the Love Boat for sure. It's a show which often starred fellow Get Smart cast member Don Adams and was apparently dedicated to the premise that when confined at sea with no other options and an open bar, even aging B-list celebrities can find 72 hours of simulated true love. <laughs> also... Also, the people watching TV on Saturday nights in the 70s are stupid and desperate for entertainment. <laughs> so was I when I was 12 and Fantasy Island and Love Boat ran on, like, FX. <laughs> oh, they they were originally part of the same lineup. Yeah, yeah, and probably very cheap for a new channel to air. <laughs> It'd almost have to be. <laughs> now, Lancelot Link, our main protagonist of the story, he was played by a chimp named Tongo, and Mata Harry was played by a chimp named Debbie. And it was interesting in that documentary short that uh, we learned that Debbie and the others made the speaking motions with their mouths based on hand signals. They would, you know, kind of make a, a talking motion with their hand, and the chimps were, were so intelligent, they knew to, you know, open and close their mouths. Uh, but Tongo evidently could not be trained in this way, so they are like, alright, just give them gum. So that's why Lance is just chewing very obviously in every scene. Yes, he, you can see that he's chewing. And the others didn't have the challenge of having to uh, voice their parts as a really bad Humphrey Bogart impersonator. Oh, my goodness. Which, which Tonga did have to do. <laughs> he almost reminded me of Don Adams later on in life, like that kind of voice. Oh, yeah, the, the, uh, maybe a cross there. Cross between uh, bad uh, Humphrey Bogart and uh, and a good Don Adams. A really tired Tennessee tuxedo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow, Tennessee tuxedo reference. Oh, yeah. I watched all that syndicated stuff. So, anyway, we, we open on sand dunes stretching out as far as the eye can see. And uh, we next hear the voice of our narrator. This was Malachi Throne who was an accomplished actor and voice actor for decades. He was false face on uh, Batman 66. He was in the Star Trek episodes The Cage and The Menagerie. And he worked all the way into the 90s and the 2000s. He did voices on Animaniacs, and he was on The West Wing. You're Just a, a very long, full career for this guy. Now, if you notice here, he mentions this is the Iberian Desert. Yes. Which is, is strange. There is no such thing. Iberia is the peninsula containing... Portugal and Spain. Uh, There's no desert there. Uh, It's strange that they would change this from Arabian Desert to Iberian Desert, especially since the title of the episode is Lance of Arabia. Well, the interesting thing about that is that uh, early in the episode, uh, to flash forward a little bit, when when Commander Darwin is briefing Lance on the uh, 
on this mission, uh, they're standing in front of a, a wall map of the area. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the wall map, it looks as though the, the target of the mission is located not so much in a fictitious Iberian desert, but what appears to be, by the geography, to be the Karakum Desert, just east of the Caspian Sea in current-day Turkmenistan. <laughs> not Arabia, nor Iberia, for that matter. <laughs> so our narrator begins by introducing us to the professor Sir Reginald Rhesus. Of course, you got to throw a monkey name in there. He's an archaeologist who also happens to be a secret agent for APE, who, as Steve mentioned, is an acronym for the Agency to Prevent Evil. They're the good guys of the show. He is on a small one-camel expedition, along with his assistant, Abdul, to find this, I guess, hoard of gold that was stolen by the evil organization known as CHUMP. As Steve mentioned, this too is an acronym, the criminal headquarters for the Underworld's Master Plan. Very, very sinister-sounding organization. It was terrifying as a five-year-old. I can imagine. It's terrifying now to watch. So, unbeknownst to them, they are being spied on from a nearby chump campsite by Ali Assassin, Scourge of the Desert. Of course, Assassin being like assassin. Ha ha ha. I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It's a little subtle. There's a lot of very subtle humor in live action chimps. Yes. Oh, yes. He's a chimp holding binoculars, and he has a live hawk perched on his head. And interestingly, that particular chimp was the only one that was able to work with a live hawk. I caught that too, and I'm wondering exactly why that is the case. <laughs> I was wondering why it was necessary to work with a live hawk. I was assuming it was some kind of package deal. Yeah. It's like, you know, we got a million dollars budget. Who cares at this point? Just get a hawk. That's right. Is there any of these chimps that doesn't mind having a hawk on his head? Okay, this one? Okay, that's our character. I have to assume that the rest were terrified. (laughs) Of course, what worse could happen to them than the fate met by all of the uh, male cast members, who apparently, apparently in order to prevent undue fraternization with the female cast members, were castrated the day before production began, taking the expression, break a leg, perhaps a touch too far. (laughs) (laughs) I could not believe when I heard this. I can't believe how hard it was to say that without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I understand why Tom gets in a bad mood. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable that they're just a couple of days before putting these poor animals through what seems to be torture doing this acting, they decide, oh yeah, let's let's castrate the males, calm them down a little bit. And as they mention... It didn't really slow them down one bit. You know, they still uh, were amorous with one another, and they still fought with one another. I'm drowsy if I stay up past my bed. <laughs> <laughs> these guys, there's nothing that'll knock these guys down. Oh, there's, a, there's a lot more on chimp behavior coming up as well. But anyway. I, I, I have to tell you, watching the... Uh, watching the documentary, you have never seen anyone leap for the notepad as quickly as I do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is good. What are you using this? Oh, yeah. And like I said before, if you're watching this episode along with us, please watch that documentary short. It's it's essential. It It really enhances the experience. It definitely enhances the experience. It's amazing. 
Now, when we see Ali Asasin here, he, uh, you know, he's, he's spying with his binoculars, and then he starts singing for really no reason. And uh, actually, there is a reason. In the documentary, Stan Burns mentioned that they would film these scenes, and then afterwards, they would have the voiceover actors match the action with the mouth movements. And this sometimes called for some really strange ad-libbing. Well, the strange ad-libbing, I think, is the best part of it. Oh, yeah. A lot of scenes, they'll laugh, they'll sing, they'll uh, change their inflection and make some really weird sounds, and it's all because the chimp moved his mouth in a weird way, and they, they have to match it. They, they had to go with it, so we have an, an operatic Ali Asasi. Yes. Now, back at the camp, the professor tells Abdul that with all of his duties completed, he can now rest up for the gold digging that they'll have to do the next day. And uh, even though it's broad daylight, we next see both the professor and Abdul fast asleep as Ali Asasin quietly walks toward the camp. Well, I think in the desert, you're supposed to sleep during the hot hours of the day and stay up at night when it's cooler. Okay, well, that makes sense, except that they were kind of just out in the sun. Well, that's, you know, minor <laughs> point. And not to nitpick this show, which, because there's, there's plenty to do, but did, <laughs> did you notice that the narrator's sentence was cut off in the scene? No, I didn't. I, I missed that. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, like a cobra, he moved in on his pre... There may have been a cobra in the sound booth. <laughs> <laughs> now, from this scene, we abruptly cut to the Lance Link logo and the title of this story, Lance of Arabia. Or Iberia. Or Iberia, sure. Or Turkmenistan. <laughs> Just Lance. That's all you got to remember is Lance. So, we next cut to the exterior of a pretty modern, at least for the time, apartment building where Lance Link goes about his business unaware that Ape's archaeologist had been kidnapped. And uh, I love his apartment. It's really nice. Oh, it, it's a very nice apartment. In the uh, documentary short, Marmer and Burns talk about all of the innovations for this production. And for example, this set of Lance's apartment was actually an elevated kind of miniature set. And uh, they even had to invent a new lighting setup because the uh, chimps' faces couldn't be properly read by the camera. So they, I mean, you could see why... They needed such a steep budget. I mean, they, they used a lot of it. Oh, yeah, and the show is definitely campy, but it's not cheap. No. Uh, the, the, the production values are, are pretty good on it. We don't talk about it in, in this episode, but in that documentary short, they brought out that skiing episode. Uh, they, you know, in the hot sun, they had a, a whole hillside of fake snow that these monkeys had to ski on, the poor things in their, their hot sweaters and everything. I'm surprised they didn't keel over, but... You know, that's that's expensive to set that kind of thing up. Oh, it has to be. So inside Lance's apartment, we see him feeding his pet goldfish when the special hotline rings. And he walks over, he presses a panel on his living room shelving unit to reveal a secret sliding compartment containing a red telephone. And after slowly picking up the receiver, and I mean very slowly picking up the receiver... <laughs> Tongo had a little trouble with this. He's ordered by Commander Darwin to come to Ape Headquarters. He tells them that he'll be there right away. And uh, he then hangs up the phone. And then the compartment quickly retracts into the wall. And it's so fast, you could tell the poor chimp was clearly startled. And it may have actually hit his hand, too. The poor thing, you know, it's, uh, you could tell they really like these reactions. Uh, they, they kept them all in. Every time the, the poor animals were scared uh, or startled, 
they uh, they evidently felt this was gold and had to be included in the show. Oh, you you don't want to throw that out. <laughs> evidently not. And of course, they make Lance say that button gotta get fixed. <laughs> Terrible. Just using the show for a little dig at the uh, at the stagehand. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Lance next presses the button that activates a sliding panel in his apartment, revealing a secret door. And as he rushes to it, the door nearly closes on him, and uh, he remarks to himself that the button must be broken too. And another instance of the poor chimp, you know, being trained to walk out this door, and then they close the door on him, you know, to to frighten him. Re- really mean. A comedy goal. <laughs> and uh, I should mention here too the voice of Lancelot Link was Dayton Allen who also had experience on the Steve Allen show as well as a cartoon deputy dog really? yeah and uh, in this Dayton Allen also does the voices of Commander Darwin and there's a bunch of others throughout the show there's only a few voice actors they actually hired for this so we next see the large white domed headquarters of Ape, the agency to prevent evil, where Darwin gives Lance the news and points out on that large wall map you were talking about, Steve, where Sir Reginald the Professor was abducted. And uh, oh my goodness, this sequence. It gives uh, Lance an opportunity to take out some of his uh, aggression, obviously fostered by having the, uh, the, the secret panel close on his hand, have a door <laughs> close on his face. When he, when he tries on several occasions to mark the location of uh, Ali Assassin's tent on the map with a pin. Yes, and every time he points to it, he ends up stabbing poor Darwin's finger, and Darwin shakes his hand going, ooh, ooh, ooh. And uh, this happened over and over again. This uh, Three very slow times. They, they hit us over the head with this joke. In case you missed it the first time. Yeah, I mean, the rule of threes in comedy, I guess, but... I'm guessing they more likely just filmed this and went, okay, well, that killed 45 more seconds. <laughs> Run it again. We'll just do a different voiceover. <laughs> of course, this in this part of the episode is where after having uh, having the situation uh, explained to him by uh, Commander Darwin, Lance utters the phrase, well, that's a good theory, Darwin, which variations of which were catchphrases throughout the entire show. What's your theory, Darwin, etc.? I didn't even catch that. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was a catchphrase throughout the show. I gotcha. So from here we see Lance driving a car with Matta Harry, his uh, lady cohort, in the passenger seat as they drive to the airport. It's just really funny. You know, this is actually them on this little car that they pulled down a city street and filmed. Uh, we also cut to stock footage of a plane taking off, and we are told by the narrator that they are heading to the Iberian Desert. I'm pretty sure that wasn't stock footage. I think the monkeys were actually flying it. <laughs> yeah, they did have a steep budget. Okay, maybe. <laughs> so uh, just on one, one side note here on Mata Harry, as I mentioned, she was played by a chimp named Debbie. And uh, I loved in this documentary short, Marmer and Burns mentioned that they had to make duplicates of all her jewelry. Because uh, when Debbie was tired of filming, she would just tear off Oliver's jewelry, throw it in the woods, and walk away. Very temperamental uh, actress. Clearly a primate Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Worthy of the show, Steve. Worthy of the show. It, it came to me a momentary inspiration while you were speaking. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, observing their plane's departure are the Baron and his evil chauffeur Crito of the evil criminal organization Chump. And Baron remarks that Lance and Mata Harry are on the plane. And uh, how he can tell that with a pair of binoculars, who knows? And Crito suggests that they tell Ali Asasin. So Baron then picks up his car phone and asks to be connected to him. Which, interestingly enough, uh, Ali Asasin's tent is in the middle of the desert. So I'm not sure how, in the days before cell phones, uh, he was able to receive that call. Of course, the phone that he receives it on is clearly a landline. In fact, it's a, it's a rotary phone. <laughs> but somehow he's, he's able to receive the call in the desert. Yes, yes, that, that might be where the hawk comes in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we transition from here to Allie's chump tent in the desert, where Allie is sitting there enjoying a bunch of grapes, in front of the captured professor, and just, uh, you'll never get away with this. I laugh at you. Ha ha. You know, just really cheesy dialogue. I already have. <laughs> and uh, Allie's tent phone rings, and Baron warns him of Lance and Matahari's arrival, and Allie assures Baron that they will fail. Uh, now, I should point out that the phones in, uh, in Lance Link were often a, a kind of a nod to uh, get smart, mm -hmm. where Lance has a golf club phone, a banana phone, etc. Sort of nod to uh, Maxwell Smart's shoe phone, yes. get smart, which you have to understand, in the days before cell phones were developed, the idea of a phone that you could carry with you wherever you went was like magic. The idea was like, was like a flying carpet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so every time uh, Don Adams took his shoe off and pulled the sole off and flipped down a mouthpiece and held the shoe to the side of his head, it, it was like something from Star Trek. <laughs> it really was. I, I always loved that. As a kid watching Nick at Night, I always wanted a, a Maxwell Smart shoe phone. And they actually did make them. They actually did have a, a little Nick at Night infomercial where you could buy a, a shoe phone. Of course, it did, you know, hook up to your phone jacket. I don't believe it was completely portable, but uh, yeah, so great. Well, now now that cell phone technology's been perfected, now's the time for it. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's get in on that and start a Kickstarter. Now that no one really gets the joke. <laughs> <laughs> so from here, we cut to Lance and Mata Harry, and they're speeding across the desert on a little, you know, six-wheeled buggy. And Mata Harry is complaining the whole time and the, the sun is ruining her complexion, and sand is getting in her eyes. He says, why is she there again? It's just so annoying. That voice is so grating. Every time she spoke, it's like, oh, so annoying. It, 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 her voice makes Edith Bunker sound like dulcet tone, <laughs> Yes. And that's nothing to take away from the voice actress. This was uh, uh, Mata Harry as well as the other female characters in the show. They were all voiced by Joan Gerber, who was just a, a wonderfully accomplished voice actor. She had done tons and tons of, of voiceover and animation for decades upon decades. And just a, a very great voice actress. And this is not, not a knock against her, just some probably terrible direction. So they passed the sign for... Dune 222, because of course, you know, Dunes have their own markers. Absolutely. And, uh, from here they get out, and they spot the singing Ali Assassin, just kind of standing in the middle of nowhere singing. He's very operatic. Yeah. He has a song in his heart. Yeah, uh, quite quite passionate about his music. 
<laughs> Mata Harry questions who he is, but Lance tells her it's just your average guy singing in the desert. And uh, it's Mata Harry that identifies him as the evil Aliasa scene. So Lance tells her that while Ali is practicing his la-la-las, they'll rescue the professor. And uh, w- what a mission this is. Brilliant plan. <laughs> we-, we cut to Ali just continuing to sing to himself for no reason. Probably the chimp just kind of had it in him that he wanted to make all these facial contortions, I guess. Uh, but but we see the interior of Allie's tent where the professor is just kind of lying on a pillow waiting to be rescued. He's actually tied up lying on a pillow. Is he? Did they really tie up the chimp? I couldn't tell. Well, it looked as though it was, uh, he wasn't really tied up, but they, uh, they incorporated rope in his costume. <laughs> okay. Which, incidentally, they did have to uh, train the chimps to wear clothes. Yes. Because, because their natural instinct was, of course, to pull these things off of themselves. So they had to be trained to uh, to wear clothes. And shoes presented a, a bit of a challenge because, of course, chimps don't want their feet covered. And the way they got around it was they, they cut out the bottoms of the uh, shoes so that the chimps could still feel the ground underneath their feet but only appeared to be wearing shoes. Yeah. Yeah, pretty clever. There, there are one or two spots where they they did have to wear complete shoes, mm-hmm. and so you will pick that up occasionally in, in, the, in the show, but usually it was uh, the soulless. It's a soulless show, for sure. <laughs> yes. But I just, I love that point where he was saying, yeah, they'd put clothes on the chimps, and all they'd want to do is tear off their clothes. It really would make for uh, quite the different story, not not something suitable for Saturday morning television. So, in this rescue mission, we next see Lance and Mata Harry slip under the walls of the tent and untie the professor. And, uh, yeah, Allie's just continuing to sing. They keep cutting back to him. And uh, we see that Mata Harry just kind of sneaks out of one of the sides of the tent with the professor, and Lance stays to take some water for their journey back. But uh, Mata Harry and Professor Reese's slowly walk to the vehicle, and they just very slowly climb in. And uh, we see all of this happen. There's no cutting around this. <laughs> it's like they really pad out these shows. They wanted to show that this was really happening. <laughs> Authenticity was the key to the talking chimp show. Yes. And Lance uh, next walks around the tent with a canteen of water, and then he slowly climbs into the driver's seat. It's like, oh my goodness, okay, get on with it. Apparently they felt that their credibility with the audience, even of children, was pretty much exhausted with the talking chimp. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, you know editing to, oh, well, they're in the vehicle now. Well, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I don't believe it now. Show, don't tell, as they say. (laughs) So as they're prepared to leave, Ali spots them from an overlook and shakes his fist, angrily declaring, I will get you ape dogs, you will not get away. And so Professor Rhesus ducks down in the back seat. I don't know why he, you know, I couldn't figure out why he had to do this, but as they speed away, I I think they just didn't want to have three chimps in the buggy at the same time. So they said, all right, well, we'll make the professor duck down, and then we could just reuse footage of the two of them driving around. <laughs> but uh, So they speed away, and Ali climbs on his camel. Again, a very slow climb onto the back of his camel, and kind of just moves in their general direction. But this is, this is important. It, it's, it gives you time to ruminate about the historic nature of this footage that you're seeing. For the first time here, we have documentary evidence of a hawk 
riding a chimp, riding a camel, in pursuit of three chimps driving a dune buggy. Uh, Nowhere else will you find this kind of footage, my friend. No, not until the turducken did we have something like this. <laughs> it may even have been the inspiration. <laughs> uh, so we now get Lance and Mata Harry speeding away pretty fast, but then we get this slow camel chase in what our narrator describes as the relentless Aliasa scene in Hot Pursuit. Oh, there was, there was something about this that was relentless, that's for certain. Yes. <laughs> so we cut back and forth between two chimps driving across the sand, another chimp riding a camel, and that poor hawk desperately trying to stay on the chimp's head. Now, interestingly, uh, in this footage, the Aliasa scene seen riding a dromedary or a single humped camel. Yes. Now that would be correct for the Arabian or Sahara Desert. Mm -hmm. If, however, Aliasa scene's tent really is pitched in the Karakum, this becomes more problematic, as <laughs> Karakum falls a bit north of the natural range of the dromedary, and in the area where historically the Bactrian or two-humped camel was originally domesticated. Now, admittedly, in, in more recent years, uh, the range of Bactrian camels has receded dramatically, and they're now endangered. But still, wild herds of Bactrian camels are known to inhabit the nearby southwestern corner of Kazakhstan. Hmm. So, this may have been a flaw in the uh, show. No. They may have used the wrong kind of camel. <laughs> I just wanted to call that out. No, you got to, because there's so very few flaws in this that when you actually do find one, you you got to point it out. It's glaring. It's glaring. <laughs> I was troubled for the remainder of the episode. <laughs> I was troubled for, this, for everything before this, too, but this gave me something to hang my hat on. <laughs> Why is Dad in the other room shouting one hump, not two? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. So our narrator continues that on and on the chase went, Ali gaining with each stride of his camel, and really just not sure how that's possible. And they show every stride of the camel. They sure do. Uh, Mata Harry looks back. She's warning Lance that Ali's gaining on us. And uh, Ali yells to his camel, "Onward, my ship of the desert!" And he proceeds to take a shortcut. You know, a desert shortcut. Absolutely, <laughs> because a straight line. Isn't a short enough route between two points. <laughs> I think it was flying on jumping to hyperspace. <laughs> so we cut back to Mata Harry crying at their situation, and Lance tells her that they'll just have to outsmart him by using a trick that they used to use in those old time cowboy movies. And uh, so Lance now puts two fingers in his mouth that he whistles, and that immediately makes Allie's camel kneel. Uh, sending Ali tumbling off into the sand. And the hawk. And the hawk, which he asks if it's okay, and he wants to give it a kiss. And who wouldn't want to kiss the hawk? <laughs> and uh, so the plan worked. Mata Harry's impressed. And Ali now just kind of just sitting there in the sand, angrily shakes his fist once again, declares, I am defeated. You have won this time, ape dog. And so Lance remarks to Mata Harry that now that they have recovered the professor, the stolen gold is as good as theirs. And Mata Harry agrees, saying that a fool and his gold are soon parted. And scene. 
Well, how is the gold as good as theirs? They're leaving. <laughs> They're leaving, and it's not like they, you know, Ali's just sitting there. Let's go back to the gold. Now you're nitpicking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, now we cut to just a wider shot of Ali sitting in the sand, shaking his fist while his camel's just kind of resting behind him, and the, the pet hawk is standing nearby. We see Lance, Matahari, and the professor drive off laughing. The theme music fades in, and we cut to black. So that was the end of that. And a classic it was. <laughs> so we next immediately open to a chimpanzee in a brown suit standing in front of a very 70s illustrated background, almost like uh, the set of laughing. And uh, this chimp, he's, he's holding his chin and identifies himself as Ed Simeon, which is, of course is a parody of Ed Sullivan. And uh, he introduced. Oh, I missed that. Did you miss that one? <laughs> I missed that reference. <laughs> I'm sure. He introduces a new recording group, Lancelot Link and the Evolution Revolution, playing one of their latest tunes. Now, Evolution Revolution was actually from another uh, episode. It's explained that uh, that this is uh, the vehicle by which uh, Lance is able to uh, communicate messages through coded lyrics. Ah, okay. So they probably just had so much footage that they're like, all right, well, we can we can use this. <laughs> oh. There is that. And one more note about Ed Simeon here is, you know, of course, he declares it'll be a really big shoe, which, of course, is the, the hack, <laughs> very common way of imitating Ed Sullivan that had been done for many, many years. It raced right up there with, I am not a crook. Yes. <laughs> Sock it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Nixon jokes now. <laughs> oh, yes. But uh, in, in this scene, too, before he introduces the band, he spins around, you know, saying, it's a really big show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's just, this is another example of the voice actors having to match the chimp's movements. And so, because the thing just wants to jump around and spin, that they have to, you know, keep the vocal track going. <laughs> keep the camera rolling, we can fill this time slot. Yeah, yeah, this is all, this is all valuable time we can use to pad out these very, uh, threadbare episodes. Nothing is left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so we cut to this title card of Lancelot Link and the Evolution Revolution, and here we get this band in full costume, uh, attempting to play instruments. There's uh, a chimp on guitar. This is Tongo, the chimp that plays Lance. There's a chimp on drums, a smiling chimp that's just pounding away at the keyboards, and a very totally disinterested chimp in a blonde wig, slowly banging a tambourine. This was Debbie, the chimp that plays Mata Harry. And uh, when re-watching one of these performances in, the, in this documentary we watched, uh, Stan Burns remarked that this female chimp looked stoned. And uh, Tongo was the guitarist, and... Mike Marmer also said that the, the poor chimp that plays the drummer ended up having a stroke. Yes, I picked up on that. That was a bit of pathos. Yeah, terrible. Yes. So yeah, also, Marmer and Burns mentioned that when filming the band, it was always noisy, as you can imagine, just getting four chimps to do whatever to instruments. But they discovered that playing actual music during filming amazingly helped them perform their motions to the beat. You know, they weren't really making music, but it was all in time with the music that they were hearing. And it was just amazing, and they really couldn't explain why. They were, they're very intelligent. Uh, they even developed proper hand motions. Uh, they mentioned the, the keyboardist was alternating his hands and using the palms of his hand. 
to strike the keys. I guess the, the chimps, they more tended to be in the habit of striking things with the backs of their hands or, you know, both hands at the same time. But this keyboardist learned to alternate his hands to the music with the palms. So it's just very interesting. So this song, it, it, this really continues for a long time. Oh, they all did. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I shouldn't have been, really, in retrospect. But it really went for a long time. And then it just kind of fades out to black. Like, they, they keep you going for such a long time, and then they don't even finish the song. Yeah, well, they figured you already changed the channel. <laughs> Probably. This variety show, it continues, and we next get the word chimpies across the screen in different typefaces. Now, Burns and Marmer had previously worked for the Steve Allen show, and they mentioned they had a segment called Crazy Shots, where people came out onto the stage for quick segments. It almost reminded me of Stupid Human Tricks that uh, David Letterman had. Yeah. And uh, so they decided, hey, let's remake this segment for our chimp show, and we'll just call it Chimpies. So uh, for this episode, uh, this uh, segment we see is Herman and Sherman. They were a chimp ventriloquist act. And, uh, man, the jokes are so dumb, even for this show. <laughs> you get the old ventriloquist standby. Say hello, stupid. Hello, stupid. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> oh, I understand. You know what? I think that may be why I didn't appreciate the show. I think that's the interpretive lens I was supposed to bring to the rest of the show. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the big closer, though, for this segment. This was the, the, the big joke they had to end on. He says, if you're so smart, spell Mississippi. And the dummy replies, the river or the state? And that, that was the joke. And so there's no topping that, so they immediately cut to black. Coincidentally, I just heard someone tell that joke about three days ago. What? I, I swear, I did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's subjective. <laughs> no, it, it's objective in this case. <laughs> Pre- pretty, pretty stone cold subjective. <laughs> so at this point of the show, they mercifully take a commercial break. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back. What it's like to choose six go. Ow! You owe $37 in DVD late fees, and also I'm your biological grandfather from another dimension. Ah, what an arbitrary chewing gum experience. Shut up! Ah! Six gum. We're named after a number. Weird, huh? Okay, and we're back. And I should mention that in in that commercial break, uh, in the original broadcast of... uh, Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. You could almost guarantee that there was uh, at least one of the ads was for the Frito Bandito, <laughs> establishing once again that in the early 70s, racism was slightly more acceptable than, than perhaps today. Marketable for sure. <laughs> yes. Take a break from your show of terrible stereotypes to be sold products by terrible stereotypes. Yes. Unbelievable. All right, so when we return, we open on an establishing shot of Lancelot Link's apartment once again, and uh, cutting inside to Lance's very stylish apartment, our narrator tells us that it's 10 a.m. and time for Lance's daily exercises. Ah, that's a stretch. We kind of just see Lance holding a pair of barbells as he counts. 
So, cutting to the kitchen, we are told that Lance's beautiful co-agent, Mata Harry, had dropped in to make breakfast. She didn't stay the night, she dropped in. She popped by to make him breakfast. <laughs> yes, this is a children's show. Yes, and it's his friend. Yes. Popped by to make breakfast. <laughs> Tongo was incapable of funny business at this point, so. Well. <laughs> or so they thought. But uh, we see she's standing at the stove, cracking eggs into a pan, and Lance asks for his eggs. Sonny saw it up. And I have to admit, she cracks eggs pretty good. I was impressed. I don't think she got any shell in that bowl. No, she did better than I do. <laughs> so cutting back to the living room, Lance continues to just hold the weights and count And when the phone rings. And Mata Harry screams that it's his secret phone. Let's keep it a secret. Not anymore. No. <laughs> So Lance approaches that wall panel once again, and he presses the button for the secret telephone. And uh, in case you were wondering, the other buttons are bed, television, panel, telephone, miscellaneous, and etc. And it appears that the button has indeed been fixed. Lance uh, then picks up the phone, and Commander Darwin orders him and Mata Harry to come down to Ape Headquarters right away. Lance tells Mata Harry that he'll meet her there, and he asks her to use the sofa exit. Now this is interesting. This is one of the few images that I remember clearly from watching the show in the early 70s was that that was their, their secret escape. Well, you can't say tunnel because it's in, a, in an apartment building. But the secret escape from his apartment is a passage concealed under one of the cushions on the couch. Yeah. But what, what I really found amusing was that this further gives the lie to the idea that Mata came over that morning to make breakfast. If so, then why does she have to sneak out of the apartment? <laughs> Avoiding the simian walk of shame. <laughs> uh, and, and another thing is, where does this tunnel go? They're, presumably, they are in a top floor based on the establishing shot. And, you know, the tunnel... It's referred to as, in a, as, as a penthouse apartment. Yeah, so... So where's it going? Downstairs? Down the side of the building? I'm guessing a ventilation shaft. I guess. Very strange. So she grabs her things, she lifts one of the sofa cushions, revealing that trap door that she lifts and then climbs in, and of course pops out one last time to, you know, shriek, don't forget your eggs, and, you know, I like Lance's reply here, yeah, eggs. <laughs> it's a very funny line read. <laughs> yeah. I did chuckle at that. So turning his attention back to Commander Darwin on the phone, Lance is told that the evil organization Chump had recently had their pictures taken. Uh, class picture day. Yeah, evidently. Well, how are they going to publish uh, their yearbook without them? <laughs> so the plan for Lance is that if he can get a hold of these photos, then they'll finally have Chump somehow. And uh, Lance, of course, adds, And America will sleep safe for tonight. So uh, Darwin and Lance hang up, and Lance repeatedly presses the button on his panel, and all of a sudden the phone compartment slams back into the wall once again, just scaring the poor chimpanzee. Comedy gold. Yeah, you know, and, and so this time, you know, for me watching, this was the second time I had seen this happen to the chimp. The first time I thought, okay, well maybe there's like a little editing, they, they didn't cut that part out, it was a little mistake. No, this is a, a running thing they wanted to do, and you know, evidently they found that scaring this poor chimp was funny, and decided to leave it in every time. So cruel. So from here we cut once again to the show's title card, and the title of our next story, The Doctor Goes Ape. 
And of course, APE is the acronym, A-P-E. Oh, I didn't catch that. I'm going to go back and watch this again. <laughs> All of these things that go, they just go right over my head. Oh, I, I didn't think this rewarded repeated viewings, but maybe in your case it does. I, you know, I don't know. That's okay, I'm good. This might be your arrested development. <laughs> no, I'm, I really am good. <laughs> <laughs> so from here we open on the mansion headquarters of Chump, where its monocled, German-accented leader, the Baron Von Butcher, is meeting with his scientific genius, Dr. Strangemind. And uh, the two are in this underground laboratory filled with bubbling dry ice beakers. No expense was spared for this set. Add a million dollars to blow. Yeah, yeah, get some dry ice in here. <laughs> and some food coloring, why not? Oh. And the Baron asks when he'll be able to get the pictures of their agents. And Strange Mind tells him that first he'll have to convert them to microfilm. Exactly why? Uh, we're not sure. It's like no, no explanation is given for any of this. Well, back then, microfilm, that was very space-agey, advanced stuff. Yeah. It was code for top secret. Yeah, and the uh, the old Mad Magazines at the time, all the spy versus spy comics, they were, the whole point was to get the microfilm. That's, that's, that's my <laughs> connection to it. <laughs> and uh, Marmer and Burns, they mentioned in the documentary short that this chimp who played Baron always kept that monocle in place. And on the rare occasion that it did fall out, he would put it right back in. Very well trained. That's uh, an affectation. <laughs> Now, Baron warns that these photos cannot fall into Ape's hands, but Strangemind assures him that he will be very careful. Problem solved. Yeah, there you go. But now, just after talking about how careful they must be with this very sensitive information, Baron asks that the microfilm be sent to him at the hospital by special courier, where he will be getting his annual checkup. Like, they just wrote first draft, and you could tell they just <laughs> took the rest of the day off. The doctor goes, hey, we got to figure out a way to get doctors in it. Hey, we got our Emmy. Who cares now? <laughs> That's right. We're just coasting to retirement. <laughs> so a few lun more lunch boxes. <laughs> I got a condo on Boca to pay for. <laughs> of course, my parents bought it. <laughs> the lunch box, not the condo. Right, right, right. So, uh, Strange Mind now wishes Baron good health and tells him that the microfilm will be well hidden, is so well hidden that Ape will never find it. So, we cut to Ape headquarters, where our narrator informs us that Ape already knew about Baron's scheduled annual checkup and arranged for Lance to pose as a doctor and Mata Harry to be disguised as his nurse. A lot of violations going on there. So we next see that Mata Harry is uh, getting ready to go on this mission. She's trying hard to put on these white stockings, uh, while the poor chimp playing Lance seems to really be having a hard time putting on the uh, stethoscope and the head mirror. Can I just point out for a moment that that scene mm -hmm. of Mata Harry <laughs> struggling to put on white stockings, perhaps <laughs> the most horrifying image, it's not as seared into my psyche. <laughs> Yeah, there's some disturbing this will, moments. This will trouble me until the end of my days. <laughs> uh, and Mata Harry doesn't want to put on these stockings. She doesn't want to, but Lance insists. She must look like a nurse. Well, I mean, in fairness to her, there was no, there was no thumb hole for her. <laughs> 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 it had to have been uncomfortable without some place for 
Yeah, yeah. And as we learned before, these chimps did not want to wear any clothes. So this was a, a very difficult scene for Debbie the Chimp. I gotta be me. <laughs> so once dressed, the two now head to the hospital where they hope to intercept this microfilm. So we cut to a shot of Lance driving them to the hospital. And they didn't just reuse footage of the two of them in the car. They were now in costume. Every time Lance and Mata Harry were driving, they put them in costume and put them in the car and, and filmed it. Hey, the insurance rate was already through the roof for having monkeys driving a car. Might as well get as much out of it as you can. <laughs> you might as well get an accident if you're paying for the insurance. <laughs> and so now we get a shot of the hospital itself. And we cut to uh, the two of them walking to the room where the Baron is supposed to get his checkup. Incidentally, I should point out, that shot of the hospital, I swear, is the exact same shot of the hospital from, uh, from Emergency. Oh, really? I swear, it's the same hospital, and it's the same shot. I wonder is it, if that was an ABC uh, television production. You know, if I put enough effort into preparing for this, you would think I would know that. Uh, we prepared enough, I would say. <laughs> Much, say. Yeah, we're not going to do an episode on emergency anytime soon. <laughs> God, no. So along the way, they pass an orangutan in a suit, holding flowers. Uh, Lance walks by and he says, look at that face, must have been in an accident. It's like, wh what were you trying to teach kids in this moment? That if you see somebody ugly, you should point it out? Or somebody, yeah. you, you know, that you think uh, was possibly in some sort of disfiguring accident, you should definitely call attention to it? Oh, absolutely. Just really terrible. It was a time of really social Darwinism. <laughs> it's a much harsher, colder time in our history. Yes. So now they arrive at the room, and this is room 222, where Baron is already being tucked into his hospital bed by the evil chauffeur Crito. Now, just a question. Why is everything numbered 222 in this episode? I don't know. I'm, I just recall at the time there was also a really bad program, Room 222, which was a, a school drama. Mm -hmm. I don't know. 222 seems to have been just very big in the early 70s for some reason. I, I try to do a Google search to see if this was a, you know, a running gag or had some special significance, but really nothing shows up. It just kind of shows up twice coincidentally, and it might have been a nod to, to another show. Maybe they had some buddies working on that show or something. It could be something as simple as that. Maybe Karen Valentine worked on this episode. I don't know who that is. <laughs> That's okay, nobody does. <laughs> she was the uh, starring young teacher on, on Room 2. Oh, okay, I gotcha. We, we can do an episode on, on that sometime. Yeah, or you can. <laughs> <laughs> so Lance walks into the hospital room along with Mata Harry and introduces himself as Dr. Kaufman. And Mata Harry introduces herself as Nurse Frisbee. And so Baron repeats the name Dr. Kaufman to himself and asks if they know each other. And, you know, Lance tells him, well, it's possible you saw me on the golf course because I don't make house calls. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, jokes about doctors and house calls were very big in the early 70s. Yes. Now, what I want to know, though, is why is the Baron in a hospital bed for a physical? Yeah. Yes, unless uh, this is, you know, you know, if Baron's over 35, you know, it's, uh, sometimes the, the annual checkup might get a little hands-on. It's over 40, okay? Oh, over 40, okay. Well, I'm not Over 40. Yet. But yeah, you, you normally would not get a hospital room for a checkup, 
but you know. <laughs> My health insurance, you're lucky if they close the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, so next, Mata Harry asks that all the visitors leave the room, and Credo, you know, agrees, and he, he just tells Baron that he'll be close by if he needs him. So as Crito exits the hospital room, our narrator tells us that Ape's plan is to have Lance distract the Baron by examining him while Mata Harry searches for the microfilm. That certainly distract me. <laughs> Lance uh, gets right to work, though. He, he first sticks a tongue depressor in the Baron's mouth. He checks his heart with a stethoscope. And meanwhile, Mata Harry's just kind of like rifling through the pockets of Baron's coat and his suitcase. You know, the suitcase you bring when you go in to get a physical. <laughs> oh. So back at the bed, Lance tells Baron, it's my professional opinion that your heart's still beating. There's just so many old man jokes in this. Well, in fairness, these were old men writing. Yes, this is like, I mean, even even for them, this is like grandpa joke material. This is one of my favorite parts of the uh, documentary piece that we watched. <laughs> where they're showing footage of this to uh, one of their granddaughters. There's <laughs> yes. a, like 12, 13-year-old granddaughter <laughs> who's slouched in the cheap recliner looking incredibly bored yes. <laughs> and uncomfortable. I think she even asks, this was on TV? <laughs> yes. I lived in that documentary short, you know, you get a little bit of, the, of their families, and I think it all takes place at Stan Burns' house. That's where they end up going. And it was very uh, funny where they, they tried to clear the, uh, the coffee table, and there was a point where they said, oh no, there's like this little statue or something. And, oh, that doesn't move. My wife nailed it to the coffee table. And I guess because they, 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 she was so afraid of uh, earthquakes displacing some of their belongings that she nailed down a whole bunch of stuff. I think it was an homage to a Monty Python's uh, dead parrot routine. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't stress it enough. You, if you watch this, you, you have to watch that documentary short to go along with it. Yeah, you have to. So back at this episode, you know, uh, Mata Harry, she's just going through the Baron's things just rummaging through all of his belongings. And this is kind of the first shot now where they show that she's looking through his suitcase, like right next to the bed. They make it seem like this is like way over in the other part of the room. No, this is like right there. Uh, Bar There's no reason why Baron uh, should not know what's happening. And, uh, she oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which eye did he have the monocle in? Oh, that's true. You know what? It, it was on the side of the monocle, I believe. Uh, in that case, yeah, maybe. Yeah, if he was visually impaired and it wasn't just an affectation on the left side. Then, okay, all right, all right. So, not a flaw, I, not a flaw. I take it back. I, I'm terribly sorry, Baron. Uh, on, on <laughs> uh, so, she calls Lance over now to tell them that she can't find anything. And so now the two of them are just standing around Baron's open suitcase, like right next to him. Well, that's okay if her shrill voice... Lance, I can't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> <Little> man. <laughs> you know. 
Now, Lance suspects that because they could not find the microfilm in the hospital room, it must be getting delivered by a chump courier. Of course, it has to be. Yes. So, of course, we now immediately cut outside of the room in the hallway where our narrator tells us that this is exactly the case. We now see a chimp carrying a small white box as it walks towards Baron's hospital room. Now, as the camera closes in on this chimp, we see that it's wearing a gray wig, a hat, and also a monocle. And the narrator informs us that this courier is, in fact, one of the Baron's top agents. His mother. Because why not? I still say the monocle's an affectation. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, inherited, evidently. So she is actually bringing the microfilm hidden in a box of chocolate bonbons. And the one containing the microfilm was marked with an X. Like a little frosting X on the top. And of course, she opens the box for no reason, just so the audience at home can see. So Baron's mother knocks on the door and is let in. And we hear that she too has a very thick German accent. And uh, she asks how her son is doing. She remarks that her feet are killing her. And as this nonsensical banter continues, Lance tells Matahari, no, there's no way that this could be the courier. It's his mother. Matahari quickly replies, but she's a chump agent too. And it's like, well, how does she know that? And if again, if they know who these secret agents are, why are they trying to steal this microfilm in the first place? Well, see, she knows because they do succeed in the, oh, spoiler alert, they do succeed in getting the uh, microfilm. This is all before they recover the microfilm. Well, they shoot these scenes out of sequence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a better explanation than anything I could come up with, so, okay. So the Baron's mother next opens the box of chocolates and offers one to her son. And, uh, you know, he picks one without an X. She tells him, no, pick a different one. Then pick a different one, and finally she just calls him a, a dumb cough and tells him to pick the one with the X. So Lance now steps in and says, mind if I have a chocolate line?" And uh, he grabs the chocolate bonbon with the X and puts it in his mouth. And it just doesn't seem like Lance knew what he was doing, because he just starts chewing it and talking about how great it tastes. If they took the film out, it wouldn't be tasty. <laughs> so it tasted like cherries, evidently. Yeah, so. I don't know if that's the film or, or the filling. Again, they had a million dollars to blow. I, they, they were able to get the cherry-flavored microfilm. And a credit to the trainers of not just getting these chimps to just devour all of the chocolate on set immediately in every take. Although, you know, who knows? Maybe they did. <laughs> they probably weren't real chocolates. They're probably just clay. <laughs> <laughs> the problem was getting them to eat it, though. I'm yes. telling you, eat. <laughs> it's like gum. It's like gum. <laughs> next, next thing you know, Tonga's blowing bubbles with the microfilm. <laughs> so Baron's mother now yells that the microfilm was just eaten. And upon hearing this, Lance and Mata Harry make a break for it. And as they leave the room, Baron yells out to Credo for help. But Credo, I guess, was just a little too far away down the hallway and just kind of casually walks after them on his own. I think Credo was, was uh, busy staring at the disfigured orangutan. Yeah, really. Probably pointing and staring, actually, given the substantivity of this episode. Uh, yeah, the poor guy. And he looked, and, you know, keep in mind, this was a regular orangutan. They were just, yeah. I guess in this world of chimps, there's only chimps that exist, maybe, and that's why they felt an orangutan looked different than a chimp. I don't, I don't understand what they were getting at with that scene. 
think it was a deep sociological uh, commentary. I, I think it was just like, hey, Joan Embry came by with a orangutan instead of a chimp. Oops, well, we'll throw him in there. He's like the hawk on Ali Assassin's head. Yes, yes. It was a package deal. They did the circuit, you know, the, the extra animals did Carson, and then they're like, oh, we'll swing by Lancelot. So now going back to the episode, you know, Credo's walking after them, Baron's mother tells the Baron to go after them too, and we get this, uh oh, this terrible scene. Now this is classic for that time frame. Oh yeah. You, you saw it on episodes of Scooby-Doo, you saw it in everything. It's been done to death. The hallway odors. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what we get. And I love that sometimes you see the end of the wall. Did you notice that? Yes. <laughs> you can see inside the room off to the side of the camera. Clearly at that point they just stopped caring. <laughs> this must have been a, a three-day shoot, the way it went on and on. It just Lance and Mata Harry, they hide in an operating room. Then Credo searches this room, but as he does, we see them exit through a different door and enter another room. Baron also gets involved, and everyone's just walking in and out of doors. Uh, I'm sure anybody listening has seen this before in some form, and it's just, you know, been done to death. It probably had been done to death by the time this aired. And, and at a couple of points, everyone opens the doors at the same time and then just closes them. Mata Harry and Credo even bump into each other at one point. It's just so stupid. And goes on for way, way too long. The word is wacky. Yes, it's consistent. I'll give them that. <laughs> so finally, everyone is just getting winded. And so Lance tells Mata Harry to stand with him in the corner. So let, you know, let the others chase each other for a while. So while they're waiting and trying to catch their breath, Lance tells her that the microfilm is upsetting his stomach. And Mata Harry replies that that'll teach him he's got to watch what he eats between meals. Is that a joke? Oh, oh! I missed that one. I, I did too. I, I heard it and wrote it down, and I still missed it. <laughs> that that was that was that was a joke. I think that's a microfilm joke. You got to watch what you eat. That's uh, dieting, kind of. You know, it's <laughs> it's old man jokes. Yes, it definitely is. Now the episode ends with Lance and Mata Harry just, just kind of walking away. And of course, after they leave, we get to see the Baron and Credo walk in and out of doors a few more times. Because you really gotta keep that going. And finally, the two bump into each other just a few too many times, and Baron angrily chases Credo out of the hallway and off the set. And from here, we fade to black. This right here was another real reaction from the chimps. And all I could think of is, yeah, this is what happens when you force two animals to walk into each other over and over again. If you notice, the previous time, Baron, actually, as they walk by, Baron kind of takes a swing at Credo. <laughs> So, so there were there were warning signs. Yes, yes, and castrated or not, you know, there there was some aggressiveness, as they mentioned. Uh, those would make me aggressive. <laughs> Put me out of sorts. Uh, and, and and this is how the episode ends. Now they they were kind of building up about okay, Lance ate the microfilm. Uh oh, I'm not feeling so good. And I'm thinking, well, there's only one. <laughs> One of two ways they can recover. Well, I guess they, they could cut them open, too. But I don't think we're going to see any of those. I was just wondering, how how is this going to be resolved? You know, we're not going to have a Saturday morning kids show where he's puking or he's on the toilet. And, you know, they're not going to surgically remove it. So how is this going to end up resolving itself? And the answer is, it doesn't. They just kind of walk off set. <laughs> it's really a mission failure. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Characterizes much of this. 
so now from here we get our closing credits and it just features different clips and stills from various episodes. It closes with the Lancelot Link logo and production cards for Sandler Burns Marmor and ABC Films. And now I, I have to close with just one more great story from this documentary. <laughs> Mike Marmer, he recounts that the chimp that played Lancelot Link, our, our main hero here, this is a chimp named Tongo, as I mentioned, Tongo remembered that vet that worked on him. And Tongo's trainer even said, someday he's going to get that vet. And so M Mike Marmer says that at a later time, right, the handlers were leading the chimps out of the stage area and back over to their pens when all of a sudden Tongo spotted that vet. He leapt over all the other chimps and he knocked the vet down and proceeded to chew a hole in the guy's back. <laughs> Still, so when you consider what was done to Tonga. Oh, no, this is, is bad. This is revenge for sure. Yeah, yeah what I'm saying is that, you know. Even with chewing a hole in the guy's back, that still doesn't measure up to what Tonga went through. No. No. <laughs> still an unequal exchange. <laughs> that part of his back will grow back, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, coincidentally, at the very same time this attack was happening, the people from ABC Television arrived for the first time. The first time they cast eyes on the chimps. <laughs> yes. They took one look. They got out. They got out of their limo. They took one look at this chimp just mauling this guy's back. <laughs> and they turned around and took off. <laughs> and, and, and Mike Marmer ends by saying they never saw those people again. And now this was only the, the sixth episode of the show. There were still, what, 11 to go? So that didn't prompt it to be canceled. So clearly the executives witnessed this horrific attack, got back in my car and said, oh, everything's good. <laughs> Keep going. I'm okay. Yeah, no, I didn't see anything. <laughs> Which I have to admit most likely would be my approach to it too. <laughs> nope, didn't see a thing. Now, like you mentioned, there was uh, 17 episodes in total. Yeah. And when asked if they had a favorite episode, Stan Burns quickly answered the last one. <laughs> uh, so great. Uh, it was terrific. So that's Lancelot Link's Secret Chimp. And Steve, what are your thoughts now upon revisiting this episode for the podcast? Well, it explains a lot. <laughs> It explains a lot in my life. Um, but I, I look back on it and find it's difficult to quite know what to do with a show like this from that particular period in television and cultural history. Because, I mean, how do you evaluate it? Do, do you consider it as just as pure camp? Or were they self-aware enough of it to realize that they were making it campy, being ironic? Or was it just blind cynicism of we can put literally anything on a TV screen and show it to children and they'll watch. Mm. You know, what was this just, it's, it's got monkeys, uh, they talk, ooh, we drag them around in a car for a while, they'll watch. You don't quite know how to categorize it. Yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, this is something I, I caught very briefly in my childhood. You know, that I believe Nick at Night aired it for a very short time. Uh, I think even Nickelodeon might have aired it during that period when, uh, you know, they would run anything. I think Lassie, black and white shows would air on Nickelodeon in the afternoon in the 90s. So, uh, yeah, I think I might have caught this w- once or twice. I, I definitely, when you had suggested this, I definitely was aware of it, but never could recount any episodes or stories. You know, just, uh, I remember seeing the, the talking chimps, but, uh, another great series recommended by you, Steve. Well, I do what little I can with what little I have. But the thing that I found remarkable was that when I mentioned the show to you in the first place, that you recognized, you knew what it was, because... I'll tell you, I have mentioned this to other people. <laughs> okay, I'm not proud of this, and this 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 may explain a whole lot of other stuff in my life. But <laughs> I've mentioned it to, to to peers of mine, and nobody remembers this. I think no, I think one, maybe two people have said, "Oh yeah, I re- I remember that show vaguely." <laughs> and to me, it's how do you get? The Talking Monkey Show out of your psyche, exposed at that early an age. I just you can't. I don't know. Yeah, they remember things like HR uh, Puffin stuff, and that had a magic piccolo in it. Like, <laughs> yes. But to me, I clearly remember watching this on Saturday mornings, mostly because one of my older brothers liked it, and I couldn't really complain because by that point in the morning, I had usually already raided the uh, Lucky Charms box and eaten all the marshmallows out of it, <laughs> leaving my brother with a box of really bad Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my memory of the show. Nice. Like you said, you know, you see this, and even though I was, you know, further along in my childhood by the time I was exposed to this, uh, it, it's something that stays with you. You know, there's only a few... Things that involve chimpanzees so prominently. You know, there's a... Uh, was BJ and the Bear? Yeah, I think... Bed- yeah, maybe. Bedtime for Bonzo? Yeah. There, what was the uh, was Clint Eastwood movie? What's the Clint Eastwood movie? Uh, the Rang Tang's name was Clyde in it. <laughs> I can't remember. Because you know, left turn, Clyde, and wham! It was wacky. But there's only a few things, you know, in pop culture that involve... Uh, chimps, and certainly this is the the main one when you think of a talking chimp. I, I don't think we got that really anywhere else. Not as a, a full movie or a, a full series such as this. Uh, yeah, this uh, probably not. And, and and in fairness, for very good reason. Yes, this uh, this invented and exhausted the genre within a span of a few months. Uh, it may have exhausted it before it invented it. <laughs> So, yeah, thanks again, Steve. This was uh, very fun breaking it down with you. And uh, I look forward to uh, the next 70s schlock that we cover. Oh, believe me, this you're, you're becoming like my therapist now. <laughs> Glad I and the listeners can help you get some things off your chest. Or a monkey off your back, so to speak. <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> I'll explain later. <laughs> All right. Well... And, and until next time, when I torture you with another barely recalled bad program. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your favorite Evolution Revolution song, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Uh, Steve, do you have anything you want to plug? No, I think I've done quite enough this evening. <laughs> okay. 
I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine, and I do little flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. My name there is at MC and Friends as well. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. And you can tap to rate us right there on your iTunes page, and it, it all helps us. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can now be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Well, we have been Steve and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. And...